it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Fix with me, Jamie Home. Tonight's show is brought to you in association with Sienna Steps. Now, I think it's fair to say it's been a pretty busy day in the world of football with the news that Alison Becker has now joined Fabino in committing himself to Liverpool long-term, which is fantastic news. Not so much fantastic news for one of our guests tonight. Jack Grealish looks to be on the verge of a move to Manchester City for a British record transfer fee with ex-Red Danny Ings now on his way to Villa Park. So there's been lots going on, so lots to sink our teeth into tonight. So on the agenda we have Grealish and Kane transfer rumours, the news that we might be getting our proper football back um, with, the, with the very welcome news that there's going to be some changes to VAR for the coming season. What we're also going to do is we're going to give some of our players to watch for the season ahead and also give our reaction to the Allison contract news. So, delighted to say, joining me tonight, we have Gav, we have Keith, and we really didn't plan it this way, honestly, Conan. <laughs> we have Conan Doherty of the Fantastic Villa podcast. I'm going to come to you first, of course, Conan, because uh, I just want to check, are you okay, mate? Because it's probably been a, a rough day for you, has it? It's been an absolutely <laughs> fucking terrible day, to be honest, lads. I'm, I'm in the pits here. I, I, I'm trying to figure out words to like to put my relationship with Jack Grealish in a justified manner. Like I've been obsessed with this boy since he was 18. Like I, I found, remember Ireland beat Germany in 2015. I, I found an old Vine. Remember Vines, like where I was changing my computer in work, the the background, the screensaver from Jack Grealish to the Ireland Germany game. Like, you know, this is when he was a teenager. Like, I had him as the background and work. Like, how sad is that? You know, <laughs> my, my girlfriend said to me one day, I said to her, I'll guess who won man of the match for England again. And she goes, either Jack Grealish and he's brilliant or not Jack Grealish and everybody's wrong. <laughs> you know, this is the sort of shit that she's been listening to from me over the years. And I don't know what we're going to talk about actually now going forward, but um, nah, it's devastating. It's a happy day for a horse, though, is it? <laughs> yeah. But 
But I'm um, like, it's, it's it's awful news. Um, yeah, like there's there's no other way to put it. When you look at it, I suppose because obviously we we look at it through a different lens, uh, you know. And I, and I'm similar to you. I'm, I'm a massive Grealish fan. I'm disappointed that arguably Liverpool's biggest rivals for the for the title, I believe, for the season ahead, have, have gone and signed for me one of one of the most gifted players in the league. But from a Villa fan perspective, because you know Liverpool fans have had it in the past, you know when uh, when big players have have come and gone. Is this something that you were kind of expecting? Because I know me and you have had a little bit of back and forth, you know, over the last few months when, you know, the rumours were starting to circulate. You were confident that you could potentially keep hold of him. What's the mood like amongst Villa fans? Certainly the Villa fans that listen to your podcast. Is it kind of wishing him the best or is there a little bit of resentment there? Oh, like there, there's definitely resentment. I wouldn't even say it's it's split and it's a shame considering how good he's been for the club. But um, like... I was so confident that he would stay this year. I knew Jack Grealish would leave eventually, but I thought after he stayed last year, when the team had just finished 17th, they were they were a terrible team that that were lucky to stay up in the Premier League. I thought once he stayed, like and, and then Villa improved so much last year that he'll definitely hang around now to see where this project is going. And it's 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 actually just disappointing. Like you know, if if Grealish left when Villa were at their seating when you know he was obviously outgrowing the team and the club and it wasn't as exciting as it is right now with rich owners and like that that's another thing that's disappointed people like for me <coughs> didn't really make any sense to sell him because because in four year four years after his contract is going to be worth the same next year and you're trying to push on like you're trying like by all accounts villa want to get into europe like and the best way to do that is, is get greatest we can't replace him never going to get a player that caliber um, so it's, I suppose it's just disappointment after he signed last year. People will obviously still wish him well, but I also think the fact that he's gone to to Man City hasn't enamored him with anybody. Like I knew that Jack Grealish would go someday, and I always hoped it would, well, ideally be abroad or be to Liverpool and United, just just classic clubs with proper legacy. Like I still remember ten years ago when Villa were perennially ahead of Man City. Just come out of nowhere, can't fill their stadium. Pointless sort of club, like you know, it's it's not a big thing. Like when you're with Liverpool or City or Villa or Everton, it's it's more real. And like obviously, when he's from there as well, he didn't think he would go for for City. But sure, that's that's the modern day. Keith, what's the Liverpool's fans spin on this? Because I suppose you know we we look at this and ultimately we just see Manchester City recruiting another top talent for a shed load of cash. Yeah, I mean. Uh, John made a comment there that oh, I said I don't care what other teams do and I stand by that to be honest I don't really care who Man City boy I think Liverpool have proved you know that if we're on it we will be going for a 90 plus point season and we have the capability of doing that so Jack Grealish to Man City while is an excellent addition you know I don't really care what City do um, still, I think too many people panic about what other teams do I think if you concentrate on your own team and and what you'll do, I think that's the best way to be. But look, Jack Grealish is an excellent player. Now, what I'm wondering, Colin, is the fact Dean Smith's a Villa fan, isn't he? He's a local yeah. local lad. Is, would there been like a gentleman's agreement, you think, even with him, that he'd give them a year and then the writing's on the wall that he was always going to go this summer? Um, because I know what you're saying, you thought he'd stay, but is it in some ways as a, a Liverpool fan looking in is it the right time for him to move you know Villa are back in the Premier League 
they're fairly well established now in the Premier League. They've a, a rich ownership. Um, the money isn't an issue. Maybe it's the right time. Maybe it's the right time for them to, to move yeah. on. Um, I thought, like, and I, I was genuinely trying to remove myself from being so selfish about it all and, and, and being just so ingrained in Aston Villa. I was trying to think if I was in his shoes, what would I do? And I genuinely came to the conclusion that I would have hung on for another year with with how big the progression was from the first year in the Premier League to the second year. It was, it was night and day to what it could have been now this year. And again, it would, it would have got all the money he wanted. Like that, that would have been looked after. And he would have been 26 next year if Villa didn't qualify for the Champions League. And I just thought, if they did, which was a massive outside bet. In my head, the way this is going to play out, stay a year, see if he gets in the Champions League, won't happen, then he'll leave. But if, if, if they had got there, like one night in Europe with Aston Villa would just mean so much more than playing with Man City. Like, I, I, am I being naive though? Like, am I? <laughs> I feel like we, we sort of become obsessed, you know, with uh, with trophies. Like, you know, it's like now uh, it's it's the media, but it's almost the Americanization of, yeah. of, of football. Like, you know, every player and their legacy is judged by how many trophies you put beside their name at the end of it. And, and they're all told. And Grealish has this in his head. Kane has this in his head. If I don't get whatever amount of numbers beside my Wikipedia page, I haven't done it. But does it matter that much? Like he goes to Man City. I think, the, ga- I think the game's changed, Conan. I, I, I agree with you. I'm, a, I'm a, uh, a football romantic, right? And I always harp back to the likes of, you know, I can only talk with confidence around Gerard and Carragher because, you know, they are the, the last two, uh, in my opinion, of a, of a dying breed. You could, you could now probably put Henderson in that given his tenure at Liverpool. But, I think now with the the modern breed of player, I think they will give clubs a certain period of time, like a Kane, like a Grealish, where to be honest, again, outside of looking in, no emotions, they've give like Grealish has, you've said it yourself, has, has dragged Villa. Uh, you know, through through tough times. No one can question what he's given to the club. Kane, equally so at Spurs. I think there becomes a, a, a tipping point with top players where they have to now ask themselves, am I playing? The, the Champions League now is the be-all and end-all, in, in my opinion. Players want to be playing in that elite competition. And in my honest opinion, I think certain players deserve to be playing there. So I, I think it's now changed where you may get a certain period of time where they will give you their best. And if the if the, the cards don't fall, they'll move on. I, I think we're now looking at a period where potentially you don't have the likes of a, a one club man uh, anymore, or certainly not, not, not in the, in, in the top levels of the, you know, of European football, because, you know, as soon as a club goes through a little bit of turmoil, money talks, players will be off. Yeah. I, th- I think the way I see it, it's like, He'll win. He'll win stuff with Man City. Of course, he will. It'll be mostly League Cups. He'll win a league or two. Might win the Champions League. But it's, 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 it's easier to win with Man City. Like winning stuff with Man City. Now, this sounds stupid. So bear with me. Winning stuff with Man City isn't an achievement. Like you know, because it's it's so fucking easy. No, sorry, it's not an achievement. Obviously, it is an achievement. But being good enough to play for Man City is the biggest achievement there. And. I, I'm I'm just been thinking around like I know Shear won the won the league title, but you know can somebody now say to me that Rafael da Silva was better than Shear, had a better career than him, or like you know because Shear didn't go to Man United and and win all the stuff that he that he should have won. Like Shear had a great career, now he's a legend forever, and he'll be remembered as one of the best players. And yeah, like I, I get really passionate about it because what I've seen as well, and I know Jamie, you think the same is. 
and I work in the media, so I don't want to be one of these people who talks about the media, but like these same people who get enraged and embittered and impassioned about the idea of a Super League, they will not respect a player properly until he's playing for one of those teams. You know, like so I, I've had it for, for years. Like, really, doesn't get the credit that he deserves until he's playing for one of these teams. He'll get it now, but that's annoying that he had to play for one of those teams to get it. You make a good point because, Gav, you've got a, a tweet there that come through from Oliver K, um, and it, it's what you're saying, Conan. It's this, this, these narratives that come out about players that maybe aren't in the traditional top six. And I, and I, I can I just say I hate the term top six now because yeah. I think there's some that are in that that are, you know. Uh, uh, <laughs> really shouldn't be. Um, but the, you look at this that came out today from Oliver Kay, right? And I, it got a bee in my bonnet, right? So he says, obviously, yeah, uh, Grealish is off to, to City. Huge talents. But thing is, till now, there's always been a but with Grealish. If he's to succeed at Manchester City, he's going to have to become a more complete player. Now, that, that to me, I don't get that. How? What, what does he need to do to become a more complete player? He's playing in a, in uh, apologies, Conan, in a lesser team. He's delivered consistently. I think, Gav, you've got a stat, uh, stats comparing Grealish to uh, Kevin De Bruyne over the last season. You know, Kevin De Bruyne is playing with elite footballers. Manchester City are experts at creating space. They dominate the ball. Um, and when you look at what Jack Grealish's output was versus the likes of a Kevin De Bruyne, they were they were neck and neck. So this stuff must drive you mad as a, a as a Villa fan. Every time it happens, I, I always just come to the conclusion that they're they're not watching. They're not watching him. Gareth Southgate's not watching him. Like the, these journalists aren't watching him. And I listened to it. Like as I said, I've had this for a long time, right? But we are not even one year into Jack Reedish playing for England. He didn't get an England call up until August thirty first. <laughs> you know, I think I think we, we might have a tweet there of that guy like when he finally got his call up to England on August thirty first because somebody pulled out injured. And then what did he do? He went on a string of, of man of the match, like a man of the match uh, performances because because that's what he does. But that was only because Southgate was forced to watch him in front of his eyes. But then even then, when he went on that run and he was shown that he was obviously good enough at that level, I was listening to all the football podcasts during the summer for for the Euros, and it was just a, it was just a string of these journalists lining up to give a myriad of I would say pathetic reasons for why do the England fans want Grealish in the team so much? And 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 honestly, they went from everything to because he's one of them, he's a lad, to England fans are racist, which is one, one excuse that I heard. Um, and then they give reasons for why he's not. And not one person just said, actually, because he's very good. <laughs> it was all these reasons about what he might not have in his game. Because as you say, he is playing with a weaker team. And I just think that proves all the more how he's able to constantly cope with that pressure and constantly perform with shit players around him. He's playing with Neil fucking Taylor sometimes on the left wing. Like, that's what Jack Grealish is doing. Like, you know, and, and he's, he, he's looked to the whole time to get Villa in the championship, to get Villa safe in the Premier League, to push them on, and he was delivering every week. Gav, working hard in the background there, producing, <laughs> um, doing a splendid job, I may say so myself, mate. <laughs> Yeah, apologies. So what happens, guys, we, we do these shows and uh, Gav obviously is doing all the hard work in the background and he says, look, if you've got any stats or you've got any pictures or you've got anything that you want to send me for tonight's show, and then the three of us just start boo, 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 pinging, yeah. absolutely pinging stuff at him. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're in the doghouse, but now uh, top work as always, Gav. We're, in terms of Grealish, mm. um, 
one of the things that I suppose has been surprising is a bit of a narrative is what is what is Pep going to do with him? Because Pep has a lot of firepower at his disposal. Um, Pep likes City to, to move the ball quickly. Jack Grealish is notorious for taking a lot of touches on the ball. One of the narratives, whether I agree with it or not, is that he might slow them down. He'll certainly be able to win, uh, you know, pro- uh, progress with the ball and win uh, free kicks higher up the pitch. Um, what do you see... Pep doing with Jack Grealish and do you think that this means the likes of a, big, a player that I'm a big fan of Bernardo Silva potentially going out the door I, I'm not too sure about players going out the door you know it, it, it looks like they will get Grealish for somewhere between 80 and 100 million and, and if they're rumoured to be they're tapping up Harry Kane <laughs> you know <laughs> simple as that um, we get on to him later but You've seen a progression in City over the last, you know, when, when Liverpool won the league the season before last, Liverpool just blew everyone away and, and City looked very fragile because they were very open. They were very easy to get at. And, you know, if I don't think they came from a goal behind all season. There was some stat, there was some mad stat that when they conceded, they were gone and they were open and people, you know, they could, people could just get at them and, and they looked a bit soft. And you've seen it last season, especially in that in that period when they went, I think they won 14, 15 on, in a row. You could see a massive change in the way they played. It was much more controlled. Um, they weren't so gung-ho. They made they didn't make the pitch as big. They were much more compact. And I think that suits Jack Grealish. I hate to say that, but um, like we're all terrified saying about Jack Grealish now because Conan is here. Um, but <laughs> but the, I think it suits them. I think they're going to look to... I think they're going to look to progress a little bit more in what they tried to do last season. And by that I mean, I don't think they're going to rely on, on their pace as much. I don't think they're going to rely on that quick transition as much. I think they're going to look to control. I think they're going to actually look to do what Liverpool done in 1920. So Liverpool in 1920, if you remember, 17, 18, 18, 19 was just outrageous football. It was mad. It was great. We all watched it. But if you watch them in 1920, Liverpool, they had their, their centre-backs high up the pitch because they could rely on their pace. And they they just pen teams in, and they pressurised them and pressurised them to the to the point where the other teams gave in and said, "Look, we're just going to sit back." And when you sit back, you need players to unlock you. You don't need the pace; you need players to unlock you. And I think that's where Grealish comes into the equation because the one thing I noticed about Grealish is people are talking about him going over and all. Loads of players do that, but his eye for a pass and his way to pass is exception for me. I, I think even when he's on the run, he can see a pass. And he, I've seen him put um, the striker whose name is going to my head, uh, Ollie Watkins, um, put him through on numerous occasions just by just by one look and glance. And it could be 20, 30, 40 yards and he puts him in or in tight situations. He's he's making stuff happen for Aston Villa and for England at times. So uh, while I think, you know, see, you're playing, on, playing another sport when it comes to finan- finances and football at this stage, I think he actually does suit them and I think he's part of a progression because we'll get on to Kane later. We've seen Kane in the last year become a bit more of a, you know, um, deeper number nine and a bit more creative and a bit more looking for his wide men and, and I think he suits City as well for what they're trying to do. But when it comes to the transfer itself, Jamie, you know, what can you do? There's nothing you can do and and people will say it's, it's, it's sour grapes if you say anything wrong and and it's not really on my part. I know what City are. I know what City were. I know what they are now. And no matter how many words I say about it, it's not going to change what what we're looking at now and what we're looking at into the future. Especially with a pandemic and Pep telling you he couldn't afford a striker six months ago. And now he's he's looking at possibly putting 250 million quid on the table for two forwards. So it's just one of those. But I think Grealish, people might tell you that, oh, will he walk, will he not? He most definitely will walk because he's a brilliant footballer. 
Yeah, and I think the key thing, you know, when when good players play with better players, it's all about speed of thought. And I say this with the ultimate respect to, to Aston Villa, the fact that he's going to be playing with better players at Manchester City, he mm. does things on instinct. He pops balls around corners. There's players there. There's there, there's quicker movement. There's better runners. Everything's first time. Um, so I actually think you're going to see him go up a level. And I've got a funny feeling he might be played as a number eight uh, or some somewhere in the middle um, where he can retain the ball. Because I think that's one of his biggest strengths is, is keeping the ball in con- uh, condensed areas. Keith, I'm going to come to you because, Colin, you'll be pleased to know, mate, that we're going we're gonna to move on from Jack Grealish, mate. You got through it. You know, you're you're okay. Hopefully it wasn't too painful. But we're gonna come on to, to another big money uh transfer for City, which is uh the rumored transfer of Harry Kane. And Keith, I'm gonna to come to you because one of the things that stuck out to me is it's you know, aside from the money that City are potentially spending, because look, it's theirs to spend however they want. It seems very strange that Harry Kane has been given some pretty poor advice. Uh, for me. And I think, uh, Gav, you've got a tweet. Uh, it was of a Jamie Carragher article um, where he, he he made comparisons between maybe uh, the period where Steven Gerrard was thinking of leaving Liverpool and uh, you ultimately want to keep your reputation intact. From an outsider's looking in, it looks like he's been poorly advised at the moment with him staying away from the training, uh, training centre. It's... The Harry Kane's a strange one um, because I don't want to keep going down the same rabbit hole but the narrative around Harry Kane going on strike compared to other players who've done the same thing is pretty ludicrous um, and Jamie Jamie Carragher saying that you know what don't sully your name Harry Kane's already done the dirty deed here do you know what I mean he's already gone on strike essentially and told Spurs he won't be back uh, he's playing a game um, it's similar to similar really to Grealish at Villa you know he could have as Conan said, he could have stayed on, but there was a risk of him becoming a, a Matt Letizia type of character, staying there for a long time and maybe not getting the silver. Where Kane's in the same sort of boat as well. It's interesting that Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville are doing a lot of defence of, of Harry Kane and how he's going about things. I don't know. I think Harry Kane's a pretty... Um, he's a bit of a shady character for me. I, I don't think loyalty is one of his one of his main attributes and you know why should it be because football now clubs aren't loyal to players so players probably shouldn't be loyal to to clubs and that's something that fans maybe we have to take a step back and realize but you know the advice that he's getting so i think harry uh redknapp came out and said you know you have to watch when you go up against daniel levy because you can try our best to to act the maggot to get out of there but if they set a price for him, it's up to City to pay that price. And if they're setting a price of 160 million, which is rumor, I don't know. Look, I don't know what the blame the figure will be. They're not going to be able to do a deal with him. Whether Harry Kane sort of tries to um, throw his toys out of Pram or stamp his feet, I don't know how far that'll get with the Spurs ownership group. The one thing about them is they're desperate for money. Um, with the new stadium that he built, the pandemic, it hit them very hard. And in one sense, you could say, well, they might take a reduced deal, but Levy's previous is that he will not take less. You know, we've seen it with players. They've they've got top dollar for Gareth Bale, Luka Modric, and they held for all, all their players, really, that he sold. They've, they've done good deals on. And I can't see this one being any different. Uh, and touching brief, briefly back on the, the Grealish thing um, with Conan as well, 
The important thing is how you spend your money when you get this these deals. And Villa look to have done sensible business, in my opinion. They brought in Buendia, they brought in Danny Ings, and they brought in uh, Leon Bailey. You invest your money well, um, and it'll be interesting to see what Spurs do with the Harry Kane deal because I don't know how much money is going to go to Nuno for transfers based. Uh, you know, if they get 160, I can't see that being reinvested in their squad. But I don't know where Kane, um, you know, thinks he goes with it because the, the talk again, like I said, the the narrative that oh, he, he needs to go out and with his pride intact and all this sort of thing. I don't think Harry Kane really gives a rat's arse about that. I think he just wants out of there and he got, wants to go to Manchester City. It'll be interesting to see, you know, what he does there. I think he gets out, obviously he gets his way, but I don't think it'll be for less than what Daniel Levy wants. It may not be 160, but I can't see it being too much below that because he drives a hard bargain and he will not back down. But if he goes to Man City... And Grealish goes to Man City, as you have said, you know, I think I've used said the 250 million on, on a couple of forwards. The thing with City, they done great last season, they won the league. They don't have a, an established forward line. So there is vacancies to fill there. And Kane goes in, and Jamie, you said you think Grealish plays in an eight. Maybe he does, but the likes of Sterling look to be out of uh, favour there with with Guardiola last season, Mares was in there a bit. Uh, Foden obviously is is looks like he's the next one in, and um, Bernardo Silva looked to be out, you know, falling fell. Gabriel Jesus. So there's loads of opportunities for lads in there. But again, I go back to the the narrative of Man City signing these players. We we only play them twice a season. Do you know what I mean? If we manage them in the games we play them, I don't really care who they sign. You know, Sergio Aguero was a great striker for Man City done damage to us many a time. Um, Harry Kane is a great striker for sports and I think will be a great striker for Man City as well. But I think it will be interesting to see the media narrative around him forcing his way out, as opposed to Grealish. I know uh, Conan said there's a bit of bad blood with the Villa fans now. I don't know. I don't think he... I don't think he handled himself too bad. Um, I don't know. It's it's just... um... I suppose it's raw at the minute. Like, yeah, you know, like, oh, 100%. Yeah, to be, yeah, to be fair, that. you've you've only found this out today and you've been wheeled into a podcast. And you, you know, I'd, be, <laughs> I'd be throwing things at the at the screen if I, if I was you, so don't worry, mate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, even like, online, the online, it seemed to be very, you know, a lot of the Villa stuff that I'd seen online was like uh, Judas and all this sort of stuff. And I, I just Maybe I don't know, I don't get that, I think. Yeah, it, and there's a big reaction to that as well. Like, So that that's common, like, you know, the, the backlash to people having a back backlash on him yeah like the the contrast is night and day you're talking about Kane I think I think Kane's any chance he wanted to preserve his dignity or integrity was gone when he started walking around a golf course with Gary Neville for his YouTube channel you know and just talking openly about wanting to go and talking about his legacy and things like that um or or swearing on his kid's life that he's got a touch on a ball that he clearly didn't yeah yeah like that's just (laughs) like this is hurricane hurricane's Hurricane's an asshole. Like if we're, if we're being serious, like you know, he, like the way he plays football, like he, he he claims goals that aren't his. He bends his back in an attempt to break players' necks. Apparently, um, you know, he, he's always he's one of those boys, and this is actually the worst. Sometimes he's crying when the ball isn't out of play. He's pretending like it is out of play. I hate that. I hate, I think that's just so weak. Like you know, he'll have his hand up pretending to somebody it's it's out of play. Like this is the sort of stuff that Kane does over and over and over. Um, and yeah, he's, he's not he's not a likable character, and he's probably a a good match 
for City. And just a comparison, like, you know, Grealish was in training this week and, you know, he was there taking pictures with the fans and chatting to them. And, and like, he's great with, he's especially great with disabled children because I think a few of his relatives are have conditions and uh like you know he's just being himself and being comfortable whereas i don't know i don't know what kane if he is staying away on purpose i don't know what he thinks he's going to achieve because keith mentions daniel levy like daniel levy isn't going to take 10 million off the price tag because harry kane hasn't trained for two days like if anything he's just making him more money because he's going to find him a week wages i think you're right (laughs) i um sorry just marcus barnes has a stupid chat in here and it's a mention for um, a speedy recovery for uh, Fafana from Leicester. Apparently, yeah. he's had a shocking challenge on him tonight in in a game, um, and it looks like a a dislocation or a break um, was the words yeah. I seen er, just before we come online. Um, and the I had, I had my my leg broken exactly the same way, Gav. What it mm-hmm. is, he's he's gone in for the tackle, and the guy's tried to scissor. So if you do the scissor motion with the legs, yeah, he's followed through with the second gone. leg, and his legs basically in the middle and and gone. It's yeah. a it's. The uh, the technical term is a shit house tackle, and to do that in pre <laughs> season is uh, yeah, it's a disgrace. Well, just just on 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 Harry Kane, um, you know, and Collins mentioned Gary Neville there, and we put some up on the screen. Believes something significantly wrong must have happened behind the scenes for Harry Kane to go on strike with the player now on collision course with Ch- Chairman Daniel Levy. Conan's right when he's walking around the golf course saying actively that he wants to leave. I, I think City have just got in his ear and said, Listen, we'll offer you. They're going to offer him to some million of the stars. And, you know, and we see clubs do this all the time. Barcelona done it to us with, with Coutinho, where they've just helped players do this and do that. And we, it'll happen in the end and we'll make sure you're looked after. But I think City have picked their, their time on this because I think they could have went for, I think they could have went for Harry Kane last summer. You know, we knew what the right was on the wall with Aguero, and I think they could have went for Harry Kane, but I think they might have looked at it and went, look, it's a bit more difficult last season because they had had the Champions League the season before. Um, you know, um, Pochettino leaves, Mourinho comes in, and actually, in fairness, when Mourinho comes in, they've top four form right through when when um, when he's there, you know, on that in that season. And, and Harry Kane's probably looking at it going, look, Mourinho's got us going again. You know, he's going to bring in players. He, Mourinho changed the way Harry Kane played as well, for the better for me. You know, he 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 helped him. He kind of watched his minutes as well and the amount of running he was doing. You have the new stadium at Spurs. And I think at that time, there was probably too much of a pull towards Spurs for Harry Kane, for Man City to seriously go and do it. But they're looking at it now and they're saying to themselves, look, Harry Kane is 28. They've lost Mourinho. They now have Nuno Espirito Santo. Um, the stadium, okay, that's fair enough. Um, I think they're playing Euro European Conference, Conference football. Yeah. I think, um, and City have just looked and went. Now it's the time. Now it's the time because everything lines up now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only stumbling block I think they're going to have, like Conan says, is Daniel Levy. Because Daniel Levy, the thing about him is, and I've said his name two, three different ways now at this stage, but the thing with him is, is that he is, he's, he does stuff for spite, in my opinion. And I like it. I like it. He stands up for his football club a hell of a lot. And I think the fact that Harry Kane has 
more or less gone on strike and hasn't returned to training will only make the Daniel Levy turn around and go, well, if you want to play it that way, let's play it that way. Um, and it was 150 last week and it's 170 this week. And I'm just going to keep putting a tariff every time you don't turn up for training. But City will end up paying it because I think they've made certain promises to Harry Kane and are probably ready for the reaction of Tottenham Hotspur as a club. But somebody said in the chat there, we re- they reckon that um, Spurs will get a player or two. I think that's I think that's probably one of the things that's probably just delaying it. I'd, t- I'd say it's literally get one mm-hmm. or two players sorted. What Man City player will go to Spurs? That's that's the problem with that. I, I don't Do you know. know I'd, I mean? I'd, I'd, say, I'd say the likes of a Mares might. I'd say Mares might if he's out. Yeah, I think he would. I think you've got to think of the London connection as well, though, Keith. Yeah, like, it's, it's, a big, it's, it's something for the, for these foreign for the foreign lads, it is especially big, their yeah, wives. No, but the, it's a year in the Conference League. Do you know what I mean? And it's a short enough career. And if I'm Riyad Mahrez, I'd want the Blade King's ransom to be going out of there to go to Spurs, and that's you know um, that's the thing. At, uh, in a normal circumstance, sports is an attractive club. Arsenal is an attractive club. But you're going in there at a not very attractive time. Like I've seen Laporte getting uh, linked and I've seen Jesus getting linked. You know, no way are they going to take that prop to sports at the moment. Because So I just it'd be interesting to see what players they could get. It, it might be like a Nathan Aki or something. Might be might be the, the level of player that they, they could throw in. But I don't know, it'll be interesting to see. But Gary Neville saying that there, it's like he's putting no blame whatsoever on Harry Kane. He's looking, something happened to sports, something must have happened behind the scenes, something happened at sports to make him do that. No, nothing. You know, like Harry Kane, fair enough, he wants to get out. They didn't have to be that sports where we're doing that to get him out. He clearly is on the hunt for medals. As Conan said, it's an American thing. You got ring chasing. I think that's what he's doing. Uh, he'll get more money. He'll double his wages, maybe more. But let's not make out that Harry yeah, but, Kane is an but you see, victim. But it. you see, Keith, this this is this is a tactic that's being used because Harry Kane in that interview with Gary Neville was saying, "I want to play in the top competitions. I want to score goals in yeah. the top competitions. I want medals from the top competitions." Right? He only basically, I think, he held up short of saying, "I want to leave Tottenham Hotspur." He still yeah. hasn't said he wants to leave Tottenham Hotspur. So people can then build a narrative to say. Like Neville has here, I've worked with Harry and can't think of a more professional footballer than I've ever seen. He does everything right, so he must be seriously annoyed. Something has ba- happened badly that made him do that. No, no, stop building that narrative. Why can't we build a narrative that Harry Kane wants out of Tottenham Hotspur without telling the Tottenham fans he wants out of Tottenham Hotspur? That's what it is. Because, you know, people people go on and say loyalty and, and stuff like that. We had it during the week with Peter Smith going on about loyalty and Harry Kane and stuff like that. But... Part of them do want a legacy and to uphold, to uphold that legacy like Harry Kane has at, at sports. So he, without saying, I want to leave, right, and not turning up the training, okay, he can now spin a narrative through the media or friends or wherever it might be that, look, they've done something wrong and he's not going to say what it is and sports aren't because they've done something wrong. That's the narrative that's being built. Yeah. And, and it may be true, but on the other side of it, you know, why doesn't Harry Kane just hand in a transfer request to Tottenham Hotspur? Hand in a transfer request and say, I want to leave this club and go and join Manchester City. And the reason he won't, right, or he hasn't done up until now, is because straight away, any little narrative or any little doubt in the back of any 
sports supporters' minds that maybe he is being treated badly, completely gets thrown out the window. And the only story that comes out of it is Harry Kane, the messiah of Tottenham Hotspur, has asked to leave the club and go to Manchester City. And that's why it hasn't been said. But and then, he gives up know, a loyalty bonus as well if he puts in a transfer request. Well, that'll be covered. And that'll be the sickening thing. Yeah, well, sickening that a player actively does put in a transfer request without putting in a transfer request. It annoys me though. It annoys me though because you, you mentioned Neville there, right? The protection that Harry Kane gets from the media and some in the media. Can we, if we change the name of the player to Mo Salah, and Mo Salah didn't turn up for training, Mo Salah dives. When Harry Kane dives, it's smart play. It's streetwise. When Mo Salah dives, it's let's get it, let's get him out of the country or send him to jail. You know, it, it, the, the protection that Harry Kane gets, I don't understand why. It, it makes no sense to me, um, it, you know. And, and and when you look at him, Gav, you've got a you've got a stat actually in terms of his his injury record, Colin. When you look at Harry Kane and I suppose value for money, um, you know, is there kind of question marks? I suppose over whether it's his age. There's certainly no question marks over his ability. Look, Harry Kane scores goals. He's an elite centre yeah. forward uh, who is a master of his craft. He's had he's had consistent niggles at this stage. Uh, Manchester City uh, are obviously bringing in a, a ready-made player that's going to come in and, and hopefully hit the ground running for them. For the money that's rumoured to be paid, is there any question marks over the transfer, or do you just think this is a surefire thing? Yeah, like I would love to say that there are question marks over it, but uh, I don't think there are. Like, yeah, he's, he's a brilliant player, and he's going to have a lot of success at City, which is a, a tough pill for all of us to swallow. Like, he's going to do really well. The injuries are a concern but i'd say they're more of a concern at spurs where his absence is way more glaring like harry kane will miss a few weeks of city and nobody will bat an eyelid you know like they'll just play phil foden up front again or kevin de bruyne and, and they'll be rotated a bit more like i know they want to play as much as, as possible but you know they'll mind him a bit more because they can they don't need him playing every game and they don't also need him running out to center midfield where Grealish and de bruyne will be like he'll be upholding the line, getting easy goals, getting all those tappings and the pullbacks that they'll that they'll be providing for him. Like you said about changing his name to to Mo Salah, there change it to Philip Coutinho. Like you know, this is, is this not exactly what happened with Coutinho leaving Liverpool, where there was a bit that he did he not show up to training, or there was a bit of a, a bad. Oh, don't remind me, Conan. He, he was my son's favorite. You're gonna hear this story again. He's my son's favorite player in Liverpool. Were playing in Dublin in a preseason friendly, I think against Bill Bow. Keith, you you yeah, you've got yeah. better knowledge than me. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Coutinho pulled the plug. The I think it was the day of or the day before that uh, game, and uh, yeah, me me young lad was devastated. So fuck Phil Coutinho, I'll never forget. Yeah, but, but like you know, um, <laughs> but like the narrative is from everybody, like you know, outside of you as well, Jamie. But like you know, fuck Phil Coutinho. But in the general <laughs> circles, it's it's never going to be fuck Harry Kane. And as far as hmm. Gary Neville's concerned, like you know, any English player manager or United player manager are going to be back to the hills without question like that that's his disposition and he'll keep doing it gav one thing just to uh, i want to finish on before we we move on to the next topic um a manchester city playing on a bit of a cheat code here in that because they've been able to effectively stockpile players and i don't mean because the, the thing that's always thrown <laughs> at me you know when i make comments on on social media is well we don't go and buy you know really expensive players but that's not the question here. You've got three or four 30 to 50 million pound players in each position. And in effect, Manchester City can can get a, get rid of, and I use this quote unquote, dead wood, which for anyone else would be a star player. They can shift a load of that and cover 
you know, cover these two transfers quite comfortably. There's one tweet from Jay Mossy uh, that I've seen today, actually, uh, that there seems to be a narrative now that, you know, no teams are going to be able to compete with Manchester City. And, you know, from a personal perspective, I think that's absolute nonsense. I think there's more than enough uh, talent in the Premier League to, to give Manchester City uh, a run for the money. No more so, I have to say it from Liverpool. I think with our best 11, I think we can go toe-to-toe to them. But Jay Motti makes a great point. He said, United won three in a row, signed the best striker in the Premier uh, the Premier League has ever seen. Well, that's debatable in in uh, Ruud van Nistelrooy. Uh, and one of the world's best midfielders in Varane and finish third the next season. Yes, City will be a force, but it's never over before it's begun. Mad to start throwing in a towel. The narrative seems to be that, you know, Manchester City are playing a cheat code and they can do whatever they want next season and no one can do anything about it. Do you say, share those sentiments or do you think that, that teams can still stop them? Oh, teams can still stop them. There's no doubt about it. You know, go back two years. Go back to um, possibly three years. You know, I think they win the league in... in 17, 18, don't they? Um, yeah, and, you know, the 100 points and people thought, this is it now. This is it for forever. Man City are spending and, and they're, 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 I don't, I don't like the word stockpiling, um, but they're, they're putting together a squad that are untouchable. And, and you look at 18, 19, they, they, they win the league, they beat us to, by a point and the best, the best Premier League running you've ever seen, in my opinion. I think the, the highest quality from two teams you've ever seen in the Premier League. Um, and, and people went, ah, Liverpool got close. It'll never happen now. That's that's the last chance for everyone. And Liverpool just went and blew them away. You know, now, last season, I don't know what way what last season would have went for City if Liverpool had continued on um, in the form they were in from, you know, up until about the 27th of December, I think they play West Brom at home and everything falls apart in there. But I think City got a sniff and they went for it. And they knew nobody else could touch them by Liverpool. And when they seen Liverpool fall, they absolutely went for it. And they won the league. And fair play to them. They were the best team in the league last season, all things considered. And when you see what they're doing, they are bringing, it looks like they're bringing Grealish. They may bring in Kane. But yeah, I agree with Jay Motty. Nothing's over before it's begun. I really do. Are they playing on a cheat code? Yes, they are. Um, and look, there's nothing you can do about it. That's what it is. You know, we've had... A, We've had a UEFA investigation. We've had Cass brought in. They, it looks like they got off on a technicality. We hear m- mumblings of the Premier League are, are, are investigating them. Well, how long does it fucking take? You know, these investigations are meant to be going back to the time when UEFA were investigating them, which is probably four or five years ago now at this stage. And the Premier League are still, you know, I don't know if they're putting it out in the, in, in the social media world or the media world or whatever it might be, there's investigations going on. How How... How long does it take? But at the end of the day, look, I'm a Liverpool fan. I support Liverpool. I watch Liverpool. I think Liverpool can win the league. Yes, absolutely. Does it make it harder when when see deal what they're doing? Yeah, it does. But at the end of the day, you can't you can't go into a season going, I see you have it won because they've signed possibly one or two players. You just have to get on with it, you know. And if they're doing anything wrong, I don't know if they are. If they are doing anything wrong, something will come of it at some stage. But look. They're just playing on a different level financially and you just have to come to terms with that. You know, for me, you know, without sounding flippant or, or hurt by what City done, City, Man City were a mid-table at best Premier League team and they just got, literally got a country behind them and went and done what they're doing. And is it right? You can argue it all day if it's right or wrong. You know, would you take it? I, I would suggest 90% of football fans probably would. 
But at the end of the day, it's Man City that have done it. That's where here here is where we are, and you just have to get on with it. You know, you just you do because you're either get on with it or you don't. You know that sort of way. There's no in between here. There's no kind of can we hang on and have a look at everything that's going on here and then start the season. No, the season starts in ten days time or whatever it is. So let's get on with it and let's see how how it goes. But you know, I still think Liverpool. I think possibly Chelsea could push them. Yeah. Two things to two things to call out before we move on to our beloved VAR. Um, hmm. I have to say, Jay Mossy's idea that Ruud van Nistelrooy is the the best striker the Premier League has ever seen is wild. Uh, so we just well, I think a he's couple up of, there. Yeah, sort of. Way, I think, well, I think he probably is the best. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's so the best. Good, van yeah. Well, I think we picked him as the best in the Premier League in a show before. I think he was amazing. Amazing. So, uh, just to clarify, Thierry Henry, you still class Thierry Henry as a striker, yeah? yeah? yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd have Rude ahead of Thierry Henry. That was the best in the Premier League, yeah. Killer, well, I, absolute I, serial yeah, killer. An absolute killer, yeah. I, I, yeah. As, as a Liverpool fan, it might be hard to say, but... Um, well, so, 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 if you if you need to sign a striker tomorrow and, you, and money was no yeah. object, you'd yeah. be signing Rude over Henry? Yeah. Every day of the week. That has blown my mind. Conan, <laughs> please tell me I'm I'm on, I'm not on my own here. Who, no, you you're not. Like, yeah, like I, I, Rude's class, but like I would have Suarez ahead of Rude. Like you know, I think there's a lot of people. And I, I, think, Suarez depends, I, think, I think it depends what sort of striker you're looking for. Yeah. You know, if you're lo- if you're looking for someone that has the pace and uh, and 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 he's brilliant, Henri, brilliant. If you want someone to just in the box scoring goals, I don't think there's been a better one in the Premier League than Ruben Nistelrooy. Oh, yeah, honestly, I, I think Shearer, and Henri are the two. Shearer, oh. was brilliant, but I, I just for me, Van Nistelrooy was just so fucking clinical. It was unfair. he was yeah, he yeah. was so clinical. And for like, it's a bit like the Haaland and Bappe argument for me you know like if you were if you were to ask me which one i want to liverpool tomorrow it's definitely erling Haaland, oh, without a shadow of a doubt because i think I, if, if to suit liverpool um the way we play now i go back to what we we're talking about earlier liverpool have, have evolved into a team that tries to dominate and create more chances rather than just spring you and and destroy you with pace right now i take erling Haaland over killing Mbappe all day long because I, he's an absolute killer and he has it all in the box. And I think that's probably one thing we're short of. So that's probably where the real Van Nistelrooy on reagment could go. But pick I can't even believe it's an argument, lads. That's blown my no, mind. No, I, I think I think we I go, think go I, down I, on these shows. That is I, I one think, I didn't see coming. I think I think <laughs> when you look at it as, you know, like if you were if you were a manager, Jamie, and you knew you had a killer striker, right? Yeah. Wasn't massively mobile, but he was a killer striker, you would go and look for Thierry Henry because he's rapid and he's he can play off left right he can play through the middle he's six foot two or whatever it is but if you had a Thierry Henry in your side and you wanted to partner him with someone you would go for a real van. Ah, uh, yeah, but now we're changing you know, the okay. rules. Now we're no, changing no, the rules. I just said you got to pick one. You got to pick one player. It doesn't matter about your team if you well, have to all, pick it, one. Well, on it, always, it always depends. It always depends on on the team you're playing or the, or the team yeah. you're looking to put together. You know what I mean? If like, your team is shit, you go with Suarez as a one man band. But if you've got a good team, Ruvan Nisseroy putting the ball into the lane. I'd always pick Henri. Honestly, I'd yeah. put Henri in the dog and duck FC. Like, it just wouldn't bother me. Just, <laughs> just give him the ball and let him do, do his thing. That's because like, he was just classy. Like, I, think, I think if your team lacked a bit of creation, I think Henri is your man, right? But if, you were, if your team was lacking, was making loads of chances and not finishing enough, I think you pick Van Nisseroy. Just, I think you still pick on because he'll still give you the finishing and everything else mm, on top of it. I don't know. Yeah. Just it's just the type of player Van Nistelrooy was. He was just it, it fell in the box and he scored. 
Yeah. He was just so good. I think he was so good. But it's a good argument. One final thing on Rude Van Nistelrooy. For a, pl- a footballer who has that much money should never have a haircut of that nature. Like, you, you just go to barbers and sort your barnets out. It's absolutely unacceptable it to be able be to have just a poor haircut. Don't kill a poxy haircut as well. Yeah, he did. I actually met there quite on a random uh, a night out about half three in Liverpool in a bar called G Bar, and I had to like I had to triple take. I was like, "Is that there?" Is Quite at the bar, and I tried to hug him, and it was all sweaty, and it just the, the meeting <laughs> did not go as I had planned in my head. But uh, it was a nice fella. Anyway, uh, tangents aside, mm-hmm. VAR, right? And yeah. Gav, if you can pull up uh, our mate Mike Riley, uh, come out with some interesting quotes this week. In summary. It looks like we might potentially be getting our version of football back. And, you know, distilling all the comments down, it looks like they're going to be more lenient in terms of the offsides that they give and certainly look to give the the advantage back to strikers. Mike Riley has come out and said, fundamentally, we want the approach to be one that at best allows the players to go out and express themselves, allows the Premier League games to flow and means the, the referee and team, both referee and VAR, don't intervene for the trivial offences. They want to create a free-flowing game where the threshold is slightly higher than it was last season. That's good news, lad, surely, because, I mean, we have we have moaned a lot, and I have moaned in particular around a couple of decisions that I'm not going to go back over, but it seems like with the new rules that are going to come into play, the leniency, it looks like they may be a thing of the past, Con, and that must be, uh, that must be good news for all football fans. Mostly because we won't be hearing you whinging about it for a full season. <laughs> that's totally fair. Close it down now. Yeah, I don't know if anybody's... A, I'm not a rugby fan by any stretch of the imagination, but um, watch, I watched the Lions game there against South Africa, the second test, and quick story behind it was that the, after the first test, the Lions director of rugby, Razi Erasmus, released a 62-minute video breaking down every single mistake the referee made and missed throughout the game. 62 minutes, the director of rugby for that country. And then what happened in the next game, the fallout of that, was, it was sad that it did have an effect, but it had a massive effect that every single decision was referred to the TMO. And I thought, this is interesting because we always in football look to rugby and be like, they do it right, why can't we do it right? And now you suddenly have this debate in rugby saying we can't have this as our future. Like they've fallen into the football mode now where everything was being referred and they were breaking it down because the referee was afraid to be wrong because he was afraid of another 62-minute video. And the idea in rugby is that like you have to let the referee make the decision sometimes as well. He's going to be wrong. You hope it'll balance out. But he's a referee for a reason. He's there to referee a game. Like he's being paid a lot of money. And VAR's there... Hopefully, when somebody balls us up, or we need a like, like the, the reason goal line technology is so effective is because it's just so clear cut. It's either over or it's not. And now, like the, the, the like of these rules breaking down, like you know, I know Jamie, it's your biggest pet peeve is breaking down to the minute of inches, like you know, if somebody's offside or not, or if their toes offside or not. Like if the more of that stuff that we can let go, the better, and you're not falling into that trap that ironically rugby is now falling into and trying to overanalyze every little thing. Gav, thicker lines. You'll be happy with me. Night- <laughs> Sorry, I'm 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 going to I'm going to put something up on the screen. I'm going, I'm just going to go back to to what you read out, right? Fundamentally, we want the approach to be one that best allows the player to go out and express themselves, allows the Premier League games to flow. 
Fuck off. And means the refereeing team, both <laughs> as referee and as VAR, don't intervene for trivial offences. Right? Let's create a free-flowing game where the threshold is slightly higher than it was last season. That tells me nothing slightly about how the referees are going to make decisions or approach them. Nothing. Because that tells me that they know they fucked up last season. Correct. And and there's a comment on the screen there was a comment on the screen there from Red Steve a minute ago saying exactly the same thing. Um, you know, it's there. He says, Good on them for admitting they had no idea what they were doing for the past two years, bell ends, right? Jamie, they can write all this stuff and we get on to penalties and offsides in a minute, right? But they can write all as much as they want until you see it happen. Take that as you know, I wouldn't even read it. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even let it come into my brain and you know and go into a season thinking that this is what's going to happen because all last year, right, it was trivial offences. The game wasn't flowing. And we knew, we knew when he made the decision and he was called to a screen, he was being told what decision was going to be made. He was we knew what was going you could see it. You know, it didn't take Einstein to walk it out. Jamie, they're, they're talking about ticker lines, as you said. All right, they're gonna you're gonna see stuff about penalties, and you're gonna see stuff about offsides in a minute. But regardless of how you put this forward, the same people that were doing this last season under a set of rules will be in charge next season. Okay, and I've never seen so many rule changes, alterations, and everything else going throughout a season as I did last season. What's to tell you that it's going to be any different now? What's to tell you that the ticker lines could lead to the exact same decisions, the exact same ineptitude, and then we're just going to change something in October, and we're going to change something in March? And remember, so a decision that you will get in October, you may not get in March, which affects your league position, affects you financially, affects everything. They're full of shit, Jamie. It's the only way I can put it. It's the only, it's the only way I can put it, because and me and Andy have had endless endless arguments over over VAR and I know you're so annoyed over it but at the end of the day regardless of what you write down on the piece of paper or objectives or or, you know you give you put out in the media the same people that were just nearly abandoning what was meant to happen last season right are going to be in charge this season unless you and Matt Matt was talking to us the other day and he said to us they should start fast tracking people in the referee in refereeing and that will get people more people interested and more people that understand the game and keep up with the game and aren't so set in their ways into the game at the highest level and then you can implement it the difference in the Euros and European football to the Premier League is unreal it's unreal when you watch it the same people, Jamie, will be in charge and I will not believe a word out of Mike Riley's mouth or anybody to do with VAR, the Premier League or the PGMOL until you actually see it in action. And I would, if I was a betting man, I would say that we're in three to four games in the Premier League next season. We will be right back where we started at the beginning of last season. Laura Duffy made a good comment in the in the chat. She said that uh, this is just Mike Riley's way of saying clear and obvious in a different way. And I, I think that kind of rings true a little bit. Keith, I'll come to you. One of the things that we debated a lot was obviously the offsides and the idea that someone's toenail could could mean they're offside, which, which, which kills me. Uh, it kills me, always has. If they are going to give benefit, whether it's through thicker lines, whatever uh, route they choose, um, I'm all for that benefit. We want to see goals as fans. We want to see goals. I think the, the big thing for me is you know if we're able to remove those marginal offsides um you know i think they gave some examples of the ones that that would have been allowed i think the one 
you know the the much spoken about one the the, the Sadio Mane goal uh, the Jordan Henderson goal sorry uh, w- would have been allowed um, you know these are the type of goals we want to see so that that has to be a positive step but the other one for me as well is the contact in the box um, because we spoke at length about some of the decisions that were and weren't given it, it's a bit of common sense and it seems like now they're trying to look at intent and not just that any contact in the box is a penalty because that was one thing you know as a, as a former player myself just because there's contact doesn't mean it's a penalty so especially now when players are looking for contact and then going down it certainly looks now like they're going to be analyzing the contact and seeing does that contact um you know, result in the actual, uh, uh, you know, the the falling over, the likes of a Danny Welbeck. Um, it, it says in the in, in the quotes, the principles we established are the referee should look for contact and establish clear contact. Then it's ask if that contact uh, contact has a consequence, and then has the player used that contact to try and win a foul or a penalty. So I think these do sound like positive changes. Are you like Gav? Do you don't you don't believe them? I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm skeptical because it's the same people. Do you know what I mean? It's it's the same people in charges. Now I know there's four new referees getting sort of brought into the Premier League, but you know, I don't think they're gonna revolutionise it. I don't think they're gonna bleed and shake up the apple cart or not. I think they're just gonna be four new lads getting told what to do with the old lads. Whoever came up with the idea that Taking away the the benefit of the for the attacking team on offsides, whoever decided that that wasn't a good thing, am I going to now spend ten minutes, fifteen minutes every game getting lions out to judge something that's onside offside by by a gee here or whatever? Whoever decided that was a thing is an absolute absolute cabbage, and the same with the the contact in the box because like in cricket, you know in cricket. And we're a big cricket uh, channel here. We're big into it, um, <laughs> the, the cricket scene. But you know in cricket, right, when they, they, they do it and they get a little nick off the bat and they go to the, like the bleeding, they show a little graphic where a little a heat tiny sensor. nick and it's sort of like a heat sensor that comes up. Mm. Penalties have become like that with contact. So the players know, right, does any contact, I'm going to get a penalty now. So they're going down. And VAR are just checking, is there a nick? You know, if they could get the heat sensor thing on there and see it slightest touch, it justifies a penalty when the contact isn't a foul. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the notion that there has to be a foul seems to be gone now. It just seems to be, is there a touch by a player on another player in the box now that we can give this penalty? It's slowed down everything. It's gone to ridiculous lengths in England to how they've taken this fucking time to to make these decisions to come to them. But if it takes you five minutes to decide decide an offside or a foul or a touch, it's too long and it shouldn't be taking that. So I'm sceptical that it'll even change. Yeah, the, the two the key two key words there, or the two key sentences to finish on before we we move on to to, to the next topic is uh, Riley said it's not sufficient to say yes. There's contact 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 on its own is only part of what the referee should look for. Consider consequence and the motivation of the player as well. So it seems like fingers crossed. We're going back to a to a little bit of common sense now. I want to come. You will, oh, go on, sorry, Gav. You will get a bit of common sense, and you know. That quote is is probably fair enough. You know, the referee is going through. But again, it's it's it, it's whatever referee, it's what he thinks on the day. It's what yeah. mood he's in when he looks at it. You know, the sort of way. It's still going to, there's, there's still there's still a lot of grey area in that for me. There's still, a, you know, it's not sufficient to say, yes, there was contact. Now, now we're going to say, 
yeah, we're leaving it to common sense in a certain way. But at the same time, you know, I still think you're, you're going to lack a bit of consistency. The offside one, <laughs> the offside one, that's, I, I thought that was a piss take when I read it. You know, <laughs> on marginal offside, we've now effectively... Thicker lines on the etch sketch What were they? etch sketches back in the day. <laughs> but look at the words. Like uh, We've now effectively reintroduced the benefit of the doubt to the attacking player. When we have a really close offside decision, we carry on following the exact same process that we did last season with the one-pixel lines. And then we'll put it on ticker broadcast lines. And where they overlap, those situations will now be deemed as onside. So I presume if one line touches the other... It's onside. You're given the onside. benefit. Yeah. When what we're giving back to the game is twenty goals that would have been disallowed last season. So if it's toenails, the noses of the players who are offside, they might have been offside last season, but next season they won't. When are they going to tell us about measuring from armpits and if you point yeah. to where you want the ball? When are they going to tell us about that? Like the, the, the slaves, you know, and, and players getting pushed into offside positions. Like Ollie it's Watkins. actually getting me angry. It's, it's actually it's, getting me angry again. This is what I'm saying. About it's, it's a lot of words on a page. But it's not really telling you, you know, we we, we make yeah. the lines thicker and we'll, if his nose is offside, well, you know, we, we won't do that because if the lines overlap. But, yeah. we, you know, Patrick Bamford not, not is pointing you, where he wants a ball last season and he's given offside for it. Not, not to make you angrier, Jamie, but like I, I still think you know, the biggest problem is that you're always going back to just another referee. Like I think I was naive in thinking when video technology came in, there would be some sort of arbitrator of sport over the top of it or a group of lawyers like you know taking the rule books and then looking at it and then deciding sort of objectively what, what everything's going to be and how it should be applied but it's just another referee who's incompetent and he's looking out for his mate and yeah. like Keith Wright like you're still going to be those nicks and people going down and falling for them but then Gav's right there's going to be inconsistencies and we'll still be left complaining so the fact that I've realised that now that it's just an all referee up in the studio or wherever he is in London, maybe like the, the less that they're used, the better. I just think they'll hide their decisions more. I just don't think they'll get us involved. Like in the Euros, things will just be decided in the background. But yeah. like, I think you were actually on the podcast with me, Conan, where I went into full meltdown mode where I was done with football. I think, am I falling out of love with football was the title of the podcast and all sorts. <laughs> and now at the stage where I want to do podcasts about falling back in love with football. So please don't remind me of the shite that we've just had to, to live through from the, from the past season. Um, moving on to the next topic because uh, mindful of time, right? So... Uh, what we decided to do for the next topic, we all nominated a player uh, that is our player to watch for the new season. Um, so we're going to go around the room and everyone's going to give us their one to watch. And I'm going to start with the football encyclopedia himself, Mr. Keith Plunkett. And your player to watch this season. You want to take the floor, Keith? Yeah, Jamie. Uh, Pat Sandaka is the player I'm going for. Pat Sandaka was a player I taught Liverpool would, I would have liked to see him come into Liverpool um, for the reasons that it may be slightly different to where he has gone. I think if he'd come into Liverpool, he would have gradually taken on the number nine short. I think he would have been a player that maybe not have gone as a starter for Liverpool, but would have been more than adequate backup and in time would have, would have taken on the mantle from Firmino. I think going to Leicester is a very interesting move for him because... Jamie Vardy can't go on forever. Jamie Vardy is excellent. Jamie Vardy, Jesus Christ, you think he can't go on forever and you might get another three years out of him playing the way he is. But I think in all seriousness, 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Jamie Vardy looked to be slowing down a bit. I know he's still getting his, his goals, but they're managing him a lot more now. More economical with his movements yeah, as well. I think he's not—he's so, not yeah. just a you know a, a rat up a drain pipe constantly. He's just got to be a bit smarter. Exactly, and I think that you could see that clearly sort of with Leicester last season. And I just think Pats and Dakar is an ideal replacement because he is. We've done the comparison before on the show. I think he's very like Samuel Leto. I think he's very like Samuel Leto in his play. I think when he gets in around the box, I think he's you know he's he's lethal in there. People would say, look, he only done it in the Austrian league, which is fair enough, but Erling Haaland done it in the Austrian league and then he'd made the step up. I know Minamino hasn't exactly pulled up any trees since we got him. But this guy went in and he took over from Haaland essentially when he left and he's got a good goal, good goal um, return for them. Uh, you look at the stat there on on the thing, you can see 18, 19, he only gets three goals in 15 games, but they wouldn't have been starts. Um he would have been, I think Haaland is obviously still there at that stage. Then you can see the next season he's hitting 24 and 31 and then last season 27 and 28. His assists aren't great, but he's not that type of player, do you know what I mean? And I think he might have actually got an assist at Teofa Leicester already in the pre-season games. I just think the type of player he is, he will take chances. We spoke about Ruben Nistelrooy um, being a, a serial killer in the box. I don't think he's at that level, by the way. But I think he's of that ilk of player. You're not going to see maybe too much from him in the build-up. But I think in and around that last horde, I think he's going to be good. And I think he's a good foil with Ian Nacho. If Ian Nacho, because he came on last season, in fairness, I thought he'd fallen off a cliff. And he sort of came back and forced his way in. And I could see him doing well with Vardy. But it'll be interesting to see if he starts the season or if he's, he's brought in gradually by Rodgers. But he's one I'll be watching with, with, with interest, you know, just to see how he develops. But certainly one that interests me. So, Colin, what about yourself, mate? Who's your uh, who's your player to watch for the season? Well, given what's happened this evening, I, I probably should have gone for Danny Ings. Um, I think I, I missed the boat with that one. That would have been a good one after after Villa signed him out of nowhere. And I know he must Jamie be happy with the signing, though. Well, it is a good sign. Like actually, it would be one to watch because I, I imagine like the conversations that Dean Smith has had with him are similar to what he would have had with Ollie Watkins. Like well, Ollie Watkins had a choice between Spurs and Villa, but Villa won over because you know, Dean Smith was saying, "Come to Villa, I'll help get you in the England squad." Like that's his ambition. And Danny Ings obviously wants to get back there as well. There's obviously a conflict of interest now the two of them there. But like I say, they can probably play together. They can both play across the front three. There's options. Villa needed depth. Not going to turn us into a Villa podcast, even though I've actually got another Villa player as a player to watch. But uh, <laughs> just uh, on Danny Ings as well, like Jamie, I know if you had a choice between Danny Ings and Thierry Henry, you would always go with Danny Ings as well. 100%. <laughs> Great minds think alike. <laughs> Come on, is there any possibility of Villa changing their formation with the players that they've brought in? Oh, you always would have played a 4 3 3, wasn't it? With Watkins through the middle. And, yeah. Um, Traore or Trezeguet maybe on one side and Grealish on the other but when you bring in the players that they've brought in 
is there going to be a change of shape there? Like, as you touched on Watkins and Ings walking together, but Leon Bailey has to fit in there now as well. And um, when they coming in for big money, like, is, is there talk of a, a formation change or will it just be a case of Ings will play some, Watkins will play some, and the two boys will go with? Yeah, like, there's four boys there, and I don't want to write off Bertrand Ferrari altogether, but like, I, I sort of am. <laughs> there's <laughs> four lads there, and that there's Buendia, there's Bailey, there's Watkins, and there's Ings. And I think between the four of them, three of them will play, but they'll all get 30 games a season. Like, Villa were really missing depth. Like, Villa have been operating with nine players last season. Like, you know, it's not enough. As soon as Greenwich went down, we were we were bollocks. Like, and like you mentioned, it was 4-3-3. They tried to change to 4-2-3-1 to get Barkley involved. Worst idea yeah. of all time. Um, <laughs> if your tactic is to get Barkley involved, it's the wrong tactic. <laughs> but um, but what that also did was it exposed midfielders. Like, so you had Douglas Louise, who was classier before, but you had him and John McGinn now sitting in a two, and none of them, the Fabinho type or the Ndidi type, or you know, just somebody to control a game, get on the ball when everyone's freaking out to to enforce, like you know, to to mend somebody when he's trying to come through. And those two were just really exposed last year, had bad seasons, and that was. Villa's biggest weak point, and it was because of that formation, which they probably needed from an attacking point of view. So we're still really missing a, a midfielder is, is the overriding point with Villa, but it gives them more options as well. Like, you know, Villa went behind a lot last season, and there was a stat that was going right up until, I think, past the midway point, where every time they went behind, they didn't get a point. Like, they they folded, they just lost the game, and a lot of that's down to their, their inflexibility and their lack of options. So, you know, rather than bringing on and don't want to demean him, but rather than bringing on Keenan Davis, you can now have Watkins and Ings up top, which is way more lethal, like, you know. Um, but, like, the player I have as my one to watch is, is Ezra Kahn's. Obviously, he was brilliant last year, um, and he can go through, like, his clearances and his blocks. I was, I was actually surprised, Jamie, you put in the comparison with Tyrone Mings, um, and Mings is way ahead, like, aerial-wise, and Mings is a dominant force in the air. What these stats don't have, though, is brain farts and Mings would be way ahead of Ezra Konza in that as well. Like, you know, Tyrone Mings is a great player if his mistake a game doesn't lead to a goal. You know, like Lover- he's got a bit of the Dejan Lovren's about him, has yeah. he? He does. Like when he when he's on it, he's honest, like he is, he's a great player. But last year Ezra Konza was a better player, and I, I was genuinely surprised. Not surprised, but you know. I think every Villa fan would tell you that he was better than Mings and the fact that Mings was going to the Euros and then playing in the Euros was was strange because Konza was way better and he can play right back. Like, you know, what, what more does Southgate want? Um, but he yeah, like, I right think back. he's going to be one to watch and, and mostly as well, like, and this is why the, the Grealish thing I think is so painful. Obviously, he's a legend, but when Grealish went, it has now sort of, I think Villa were trying to step beyond being a, a selling club or a feeder club, just trying to get out of that Everton mold. Like Villa and Everton were always sort of on that level where players played well, but they could be picked off by the bigger clubs. If Grealish had a stage, he might have pushed on past that. But the fact that Grealish didn't stay and he could, he was able to be picked off is now making people panic about the like of Watkins, who every time I'm on this bloody stream, I see Liverpool fans talking about Watkins, and I hope they, I hope they God they forget about him and just ignore us. He's not that good. Um, the like of Watkins, the like of Konza. Like these good players that are coming through with Villa, Martinez, you wonder if they get so good, you know, 
are they going to be picked off as well? Now, obviously, ideally, you want your signings to be good. You want the young lads to be good. And coinciding with these quality players, then you can actually just step on to another level. But there is just that fear. Somebody like Kanza as well could just push on to that other level and might attract a lot of interest. But I hope he doesn't. It's funny, I, I was doing my fancy football team with my, my son before, and I was surprised, Conan, there's a hell of a lot of value in that Aston Villa team. I actually oh, found really? myself at, at one point, I think I had too many Villa players, I was like, hold on, what's what's going on here? But bear in mind, one of them was Grealish, which I think since we've been doing this podcast, he's now confirmed as a Manchester City player, so I might be, I might be able to tweak that slightly, but uh, yeah, Gav... <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm going to come to you for your player. Um, tell us a little bit about the player that you picked. Um, the player I've picked is a player that I seen live at Anfield at the start of the 2019-20 season. Um, Norwich player Todd Cantwell. Um, Norwich weren't bad in that first half, and I think they ended up going in four 0 down. Um, but Cantwell just had something about you know um, the swagger yeah lovely touch he, he reminded me a little bit of Grealish I'm going to be honest yeah. with you the way the way he takes control of the ball the way he kind of tries to like drift past people he had an eye for a pass and I really like the look of him I think he suffered that knowledge because I'm not a fan of the manager um, I think he what? plays very I Daniel Fark yeah I think he plays extremely naive football or he did do two seasons ago and while people were telling you Norwich were great to watch they were getting beaten every week um, I hope that changes for them um, come this season obviously not on the 14th of August but with Todd Cantwell you know just I just like the look of him I, and, and he's had another he's had a season in, in the championship after being in the Premier League and I was surprised he wasn't picked up by somebody but yeah, I think I think um I think he's a really, really good player. I think he's really good walk rate. I think you know, he he holds on to the ball well, he sees a pass. He he doesn't look the strongest of guys, he kinda has that build where you think is he a bit lightweight, but he's not. And I think, you know, if, if Norwich come up and and can keep they'll continue to play that brand, but I think if if they're not as naive um with and without the ball as they were the last time and they can give a little bit more protection and, and be in games more. I think Cantwell could be somebody that could do really well for him. You know, he's he's what he's another year older now coming into the Premier League. He he has the experience there of playing at the top level and, and he knows what it's about. He's not coming in he's not coming in cold this time. I think I think he's somebody that um that could really, really push on. And I'm surprised he's actually I'm surprised Norwich are coming back into the Premier League with Todd Cantwell in their squad. I thought he would have been snapped up last summer or January. Um last year so he, he, for me he's one to watch and, and it's just basically it's just going on from what I've seen at Norwich um, and when I've seen him play and of course I've seen him I've seen him live play and I just really really like really like the look of him It's funny you draw the comparisons with Grealish because some of the noises today is that that's who Villa are potentially looking to bring in to, to replace Grealish um, and that there's that some genuine interest there there's people in the chat saying that he's a better player than Madison uh, yeah, I, I, I'd be surprised I mean, when you look at the value um, I think the rumours are and I, I was told a little bit of info a couple of days ago that the, the price to get the Madison deal 
done would be over 70 million uh, and Arsenal are confident of getting that done you know you look at the the output of, of a Todd Cantwell and, and probably the money that it will cost to get him on board you know it's uh, th- there's certainly a lot more value potentially to be had in the likes of a, of a Todd Cantwell 70 so, million for James Madison is ludicrous it's crazy over 70 million yeah it's it'll ludicrous. probably take over 70 million to get it done the English tax is one thing so two things that are annoying me a little bit at the moment English tax on players makes no sense why do you have to play more because the they're English and yeah. then the, the phrase top six as I mentioned earlier there's mm. teams that are in that top who is the top six now by the way who uh, is actually God only knows ah, it's, it's, all, it, it's still Spurs and Arsenal like it's West Ham and Leicester yeah. yeah absolute still nonsense Spurs and Arsenal absolute nonsense players. Um, okay, so to finish off, uh, my player to watch, and I, I'm terrible. I didn't look anywhere other than Liverpool because I find it very difficult to do that. Um, and I'm going to pick a player that I've seen some strange noises on social media um, uh, of late, and that's Curtis Jones. Um, and the reason I wanted to pick Curtis Jones, I think he was uh, a victim of circumstance last season in that very much like Thiago, he was playing in a midfield without shape. He was playing in a team without its spine. And anybody that has watched Liverpool over their sustained period of success, or certainly, you know, competing for for major trophies is um, without that spine, it's very, very difficult to play in that Liverpool team. What the demands are for the three-centre midfielders are huge. You have to cover so much space, both offensively and defensively. But when you actually look at the numbers of Curtis Jones, and there's a couple of graphics that I'm going to pull up. He's 20 years old, first and foremost. Um, he's been delivering these stats in a struggling side. And if you can go to the other one, first of all, Gav, I think there's a slightly, uh, a slightly longer stat, um, which basically ranks him in terms of percentile for other players in his position. So if you can see the numbers in red, you can see where he ranks in terms of that percentile. So you can see, for example, pass completion, 95th percentile. Progressive carries is the big one, as you've seen on the previous slide, 96th percentile. And progressive uh, passes, um, uh, recoveries. So he's, again, 94th uh, percentile. If you dive a little bit more into the attacking runs, because this is something I think that uh, he he offers that a lot of Liverpool players don't. We often talk about Liverpool playing against deep-lying teams and we struggle to break them down. What Curtis Jones can do is he can beat a man. He can break a line. And if you pull up the, the, the next stat, Gav, what it actually shows, it looks a little bit more of his ability to drive at teams. So it looks at carries, 95th percentile, uh, total carrying distance. So the, the length of uh, the, the field that he's taking the ball, he's running at players, progressive carries, carries into the final third, he's 97th percentile, carries into the penalty area. So you can see the consistent theme here that Curtis Jones is a 20-year-old playing in a struggling team who isn't hiding. He's getting on the ball. He's driving at teams and he's trying to make things happen. Can you imagine what this 20-year-old is going to be able to do when the spine of the team is back, when Jordan Henderson is back in the team, when the lighthouse Fabino is back in the team? They give Liverpool its structure for the likes of a Curtis Jones to go on and create. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to see what he's going to be able to do in a, in a proper Liverpool team because 
I don't think what we saw last season was in any way, shape or form the Liverpool that we've come accustomed to. So when you get the big names back, we get the defence a little bit higher up the pitch and we're not as worried about that ball over the top. It allows us to press a little bit higher and he can go and create, which I think Curtis Jones is 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 going to be um, is going to be a big player for us next season. Um, so definitely excited to see to see how he does. And it's been strange, Gav. You know, when you look at some of the noises that's come out on on social media, it seems like there's a little bit of shade getting thrown his way now, which for me just makes absolutely no sense. No, it doesn't. You know. Oh, great um, to see Curtis Jones in the chat there, by the way. Gav, didn't see that. There. <laughs> um, and he says, I didn't realise my numbers were that good. So there you go. Um, welcome, course. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense, Jamie, because when I see people giving out about Curtis Jones, I, I, I put it down to a nervousness over the transfer window. Genuinely. Yeah. I, I think when you look at it, you, you'll have people going, right, we want a midfielder in who, who we have a go at. You know, and it's usually Ox and it's usually Naby Kate, and now it's Curtis Jones' turn. And, and look, Curtis Jones, for me last season, done very, very well as a 19, 20-year-old. As you said, in the midfield, that was um, faltering from December onwards and then patched up because our midfielders were 25 yards down the pitch uh, playing around the centre-backs. So I think it'll stand to him. I think what happened last season will definitely stand to him um, in his progression. But look, Curtis Jones done nothing wrong for Liverpool last season, in my opinion. Yes, he had a couple of bad games. He had a couple of really good games. And he had a couple of six, seven hour tens. That's, he's a 20-year-old footballer. You know, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world. In a, in a team that was literally 20-odd different centre-back partnerships. You know, you had a Manny that was off form. You had a Firmino that was off form. Salah was great. Um, but... There were so many things happening at Liverpool last season. I, I, I think it's hard. Even with the, them numbers are very impressive. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's hard to even judge Curtis Jones or make a call on him. Even off the back of them stats, um, I think it's hard to, to judge him because of the circumstance he was in. Now, having said that, in two years' time, a year's time, this season, wherever it might be, if the shit hits the fan, Curtis Jones, having gone through that experience, will be expected to step up. You only get so much leeway and then you're expected to do it. Now, Curtis Jones, I think probably last season was probably a year ahead of his progression for me. I would look for this season to be the one where he, he takes that step on and then you look for him to be really consistent from next season onwards. But to, to turn around and say you don't want Curtis Jones or, or you know, he put up a social media post today, yesterday, where he miss hits a volley. He missed it a volley into yeah. the ground. It was in the top corner. And jokingly, he says, what are we going to call this? And people lashed him, you know, out of the club. You miss hit it. You're this, you're that. Calling them names. And I'm like, lads, this is a 20-year-old lad putting up a bit of social media for a bit of laugh. And this is the response you're getting, you know. And look, he's part of the squad. There's no doubt about that. If a midfielder comes in, which I think they will, um, it's not going to affect Curtis Jones's situation at Liverpool or his position at Liverpool. So, uh, you know, I've seen stuff like Villa want them and Villa have made inquiries. I'd be amazed if Liverpool turned around and done anything with yeah. Curtis Jones because, you know, I go back to Ox and I go back to Kate. They're not as reliable as Curtis Jones and they haven't put in the numbers of Curtis Jones. And James Milner is 36 odd years of age. Jordan Henderson has some issues with regards to injury. Thiago, I think he'd be fine. Fabinho would be absolutely fine. So, for me, Curtis Jones... I'm looking forward to seeing him this season and I don't think anyone should should fear him being in the team or being in the squad because he hasn't let Liverpool down. Yeah, he's had some bad games but everyone has. He hasn't let Liverpool down at all. 
there's a couple of comments in the chat saying they were surprised that I didn't pick Tiago. I thought I'd just give the Tiago love in a rest. I think I've yeah. done it to death now. Um, yeah. so I, and then I did debate Naby Keita, but I'm just I'm not getting suckered in. I'm I'm completely and utterly like <laughs> I'm rooting for him. In, I know I'm rooting for him. I am rooting for him, but it's just it's the hope that kills you, and I'm not prepared to be hurt again. So I'm just I'm going with Curtis Jones, and I'm, I'm massively rooting for him now. Keith, I want to uh, I want to come to you on a on a topic that broke today, just to to finish off on. Um, fantastic news um, Alison Becker has committed his long term future to Liverpool um, off the back of Fabinho doing it the day before um, and Trent uh, recently doing it as well so in my opinion you've got arguably the best goalkeeper defensive midfielder and, and uh, right back in world football certainly right up there committed to the club for the long term fantastic business by the club people like to snipe about the fact that you know we're renewing contracts as opposed to buying new players but you know the fact that you've got that commitment from such senior players such talented players and players that have another level to go up uh, you know uh, to, to go up and they'll be doing it at our club is a, is a massive boost yeah, it is a massive boost, Jamie. And the thing about it is, it's two and two days, isn't it? Fabinho was only yesterday. It's Alisson done now. They're getting them done quickly. Do you know what I mean? They done Trent. Trent wasn't a priority. He wasn't part of this group that are out of contract. But it'll be interesting to see. I think we're going to see every couple of days one of these lads being announced until we're not seeing it. And I think that'll be telling about their plans for some other players in the squad. I think... You know, the fact they got Alisson done so quickly, they got Fabinho done, they're only back from the Copa America. They're only back with the squad a couple of days. It shows, you know, it's agents that look after all these things. Um, it'll be interesting. I think they'll do Van Dijk. I think they'll do Salah. I think they'll be the priority ones. Mane, maybe at a push. I've my own suspicions about Jordan Henderson. Bobby, I don't think they'll be at the top of the, the pecking order when it comes to to giving out these contracts. But it will be interesting to see what they do because the Trent one really true for me. Because what does Robbo do? Robbo's one of the lowest earners in the squad. Do you know what I mean? Like on his base um, wage. It, it'd be interesting to see if they throw him one. Because all this talk was, you know, we have to secure these lads. We have to secure these lads. But we didn't have to secure Trent. That was a reward for performance and, and his output. So it'll be interesting if there's... I think they're going to get a few of these contracts done very, very quickly now. And then... And maybe I'm an optimist. Then they'll look at getting the incomings. I think we'll see one... I think we'll see one or two outgoings, whether they're permanent or tra uh, on loan. And I think we'll get a couple of bodies through the door. But I was of the... I thought I might have dragged out with these till the end of the window, the contracts. But the fact that they're coming now taking fast makes me think this will be boxed off fairly sharpish. And then we'll get the business done. There was a there was a comment that came in there. It was brilliant. I think it was from James Milne uh, in relation to the stats for Allison, and it said, uh, "Where was the goals for stat?" <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, definitely something we didn't think that we'd have to say. But um, Gav, uh, before I go to to Conan to tell us a little bit about what's coming up on the the Villa podcast for this year and, and where people can find it. Um, oh, actually, I didn't read out that 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 stat, did I? Uh, is one for for the for some parties, uh, interesting staff for some parties that you're at. Alison Becker is the only goalkeeper in Premier League history with a goal and assist, a Golden Glove award, and a winner's medal. So take that one away with you, and uh, yeah, put that in your football trivia quizzes. Um, 
Gav, just want to finish off. You know, a lot of people will will talk about um, you know the the need for transfers, but Liverpool very much said from the outset, you know, this was going to be a time where they tie down their big players, um, and for so long, Liverpool has been um, a stepping stone, not a destination for top players to spend their you know their their peak years. What this tells me at this moment in time, and whilst you know some fans are on tenter hooks waiting for new signings, I you know I'm fully confident that we will bring in what we need. This is a massive statement of intent for Liverpool because these top players, world class players, are saying that they want to stay for at Liverpool at, in their in their peak years. Yeah, absolutely. Like you only have to go back, probably just before Klopp arrived, and you have players constantly. You're worried. You're, you're more worried going into summers about keeping players and actually bringing players in, and you nearly go into a summer where you think, well, will we keep him? If we don't keep him, who will we get? And famously, Suarez leaves, and we start we signed. We had a nightmare, Markovic and um, Balotelli and Ricky Lambert and all this sort of stuff. Whereas now it's just par for the course, isn't it? That we renew contracts and we keep these players. No one seems to come looking, you know, because everyone's happy at Liverpool and wants to play for Jurgen Klopp. And I think that's where you get the the opinion of some. And and, and it's, there's probably something to with that, you know, when Klopp leaves with all these players or players in the future want to play for us because you know Klopp is a massive pull and you know stuff like that so but right now you know Fabinho was me and Chris spoke about it last night it's brilliant to have him in I think that's a sign of intent to, you know to show that he's going to be your linchpin in the, in the in the middle of midfield or the base of midfield for the next four or five years Trent is just Trent you know he's I still you know people will argue but he's a generational talent for me he's just he's the way he plays right back is just phenomenal. And, you know, Keith saying there they're coming thick and fast. I think these contracts are agreed weeks. You know, it's not like they, they agreed it last night with yeah. Fabinho when they took a picture of him this morning. You know, these are agreed ages ago and they're all just, you know, you know, agreed two, three weeks ago and just get the paperwork done and, and yeah, we're good to go now. And I think I'm hoping the same with Van Dijk. I'm hoping the same with Mane. Um, some people mightn't. I'm, hope, I'm actually hoping the same with Firmino, uh, Henderson. I want them all signed. Um, because I think there's more to come. Um, you know, some will say they're aging. Some will say that you know we should need to move on. But I think them players, I th- I think they're good enough for another contract. And running alongside that, incomings, outgoings, that's all in the mix as well. There's no way. There's no way Liverpool are standing around going, let's just wait and hope that someone bids for an Origi or a Shakiri or a Nat Phillips or a Ben Davis or whatever it is. There's no way. You know, there's all there's the there's loads of balls being juggled, I suppose, and, and we'll see the outcome of it. And some might be happy come the 31st of August, and some mightn't be. You know, and I think the overriding thing about this is that I think 99% of Liverpool fans believe that two players need to come in. And if them two come in, who cares what goes out? You know, the sort of way, that's the way I feel about it. Who cares? You know, if Liverpool want to do that and they go about their business and get it done, fine, but... You might see you might see rocky ground come the thirty fourth of August if two haven't come in and there's a couple that are still there that you would expect it to leave. But overall, on the on the contract stuff, Jamie, just keep them coming because they've done brilliant for Liverpool, and I think a lot of people are making a way too much of last season, way too much of it. And you know, I I think I think Liverpool will prove something next season. I really do with all them players on new deals. I genuinely believe that, and that, that might be me being a bit. You know, pointing the sky are way too op- optimistic. But when you see what happened to Liverpool last season, and and the ten twelve games towards the end of the season where they showed a real a real bottle and a real fight and a real belief to go, look, we let's put ourselves in a position, 
and then we can go on and, and show what people were really made of in particular Jota Tiago and stuff like that but more contract good couple of incomings good maybe some outgoings let's see but overall um, you know I'm, I'm happy where we are at the minute well said now Conan before we wrap up uh, you, you have to sit through a little bit of Liverpool chat there mate tell us uh, you've actually getting a bit of a reputation now on, on social media you you and your, your brother Liam uh, you have some crack on the Villa podcast I'm not a Villa fan as people may have guessed but I listen to you religiously and uh not just saying it because you're a mate of mine. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Tell everyone a little bit about the podcast and where they can find it and, and what you got coming up over the next season. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you letting me talk about Villa a lot on this podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> I think they're now my second club because of you. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, like, just on Gal's point, like, it is it is mad that, like, Liverpool, like, you're talking about being pie in the sky or, like, you people might think it's pie in the sky. Like, you know, Liverpool were fucking amazing just the season before last, like, you know, and hopefully this year you won't have two midfielders playing centre-back. Like, you know, and they almost forget the like of Curtis Jones and boys like that as well coming in and maybe Naby Keita will come good, who knows? But, um, like, Liverpool's default is probably being the best team in the league. So they're in good footing. Like, signing those contracts is a good thing. And uh, and we will genuinely talk about stuff like that on the Villa podcast as well. Um, we go out after every game, after every Villa game, a lot of, lot of whinging. There's going to be a lot more, like... Liam, who does it with me, was just texting me today saying he's he's not doing it. The season of Greenish isn't there. Like you know, he can't, he can't sit through <laughs> forty-two Aston Villa matches without Jack Greenish. Like it does, it makes it so much easier. Like even when you lose, it's just fun watching them. So I imagine there'll be a bit more uh, a bit more negative this season. And to be honest, from a Villa fan's point of view, they actually perform better the podcasts when Villa lose. I think everyone gets excited to to hear the depths that we fall into and they get excited for the meltdowns. But um, we have a section at the end. So even if you want to skip to the end of the show where we just talk about more general stuff, like um, more general football. Um, most importantly, we go out on Twitter just with our videos on the Villa podcast so we can catch some of that stuff there. Um, actually, it's funny. There's a lot of Liverpool fans there that are following us. So I just hope, uh, I just hope that they're... Uh, the Villa don't hammer you again this season, that I don't have to slag Liverpool off so we can keep the, keep the mutual <laughs> friendship going. Yeah, Dan Jay says in the comments, he says, Conan, I, I I loved your podcast throughout the Euros. You and Liam are legends, I have to say. Oh, yeah, it definitely, uh, definitely made the Euros more fun. So definitely do go check it out. Uh, Gav, um, any updates on Siena? Uh, people have been asking in the chat. Be good to get an update. Um, the only update is, and it's it's going to be this way until November, is that for a lot of people that watch this will know um, about Sienna and, and the, the condition she has. And, and basically, she needs to go to America, St. Louis, for basic treatment to, to help her walk. Um, she, she suffers from aversion to cerebral palsy. But, you know, 120 grand is what's needed. I think we're at 60 grand at the moment. And we... It was our idea to to run this through the whole the whole of this season, the next nine ten months, and and see how close we could get to that hundred and twenty k, and and Sienna and her family could contact the the hospital and and the the doctor or the surgeon in Saint Louis and say, look, we have the money up. When can you fit us in? But surprisingly, last week um, they got a letter already to say that there's a spot in November. Now that's really tight. That's twelve weeks, you know, um, to raise sixty grand. But look, we're just going to do what we can. So, you know. 
Conan runs a runs a podcast. If he wants to shout out about it on his podcast, he can. Um, if anybody else is on a podcast, social media, wherever it is, shout out about it. Uh, the link is in the description for our GoFundMe. It's also there. We're trying to virtually sell out Anfield at one pound a ticket or one euro a ticket, which would raise fifty odd thousand. And um, we're very very close. So all we can ask is people that look. Check out our GoFundMe. If you go into Google and type in Sienna Steps GoFundMe, you'll find it. They're at 60,000 euros at the moment. You can donate there. You can buy a ticket for Anfield for one euro. You can buy 10 tickets. You can, you know, sell out the cup. You can do whatever you want. But all we're trying to do is get the likes of me, the four of us on screen, all the lads at the LFC Day Troopers, lads at other podcasts, um, lads on social media that don't do podcasts, to just continue to spread the word. Because I believe, um, and again, this might be point in the sky, but I believe if you tell 20 people about it or put it on your social media, that if one of those people donate and tell another 20 and it continues on, the name gets out there more and more and the word gets out there more and more and the amount of people that can donate gets bigger and bigger and hopefully... I'd love nothing more than than you know to come November to you know be sending Sienna dollars to spend in America as spend the money um from the LFC day trip. I love nothing more than that. And I said the other night helping Keen out a couple of couple of months ago to get his money up um was one of the proudest things we've done on the LFC day trippers. And this would, would rank up there alongside it because at the end of the day all we do is talk football. That's all we do. We just talk football. And if someone comes along and needs help, whether that's in a mental way or, you know, um, you know, or a physical way by trying to go and do something for them, um, that kind of takes over for me. It really does. Like, you know, I do a lot of work with regards to this podcast and setting things up and sorting things out. But this kind of takes over. This is always on my desk in front of me. Sienna's thing is always there. So if you can donate, if you can spread the word, that's absolutely great. That's all we're asking for fantastic perfect way to finish big thank you as always to gav keith and conan everybody in the chat thank you for your comments uh and your kind messages that you send us throughout the week it really is appreciated by each and every tripper uh we've a massive season planned um so if you don't mind if you can leave us a like before you leave and a comment under the video telling us what you thought of the show um and if you've got mates that you think would enjoy what we do um do send them a link and get them involved it's very much a growing community here and it's it's uh uh, yeah, it's really something great uh, to be part of. Um, not, and it's not just exclusive to Liverpool fans. As I said, we get lots of guests on throughout the season that aren't specific to Liverpool. So we are proud of the community that we're building. We want to try and grow that where possible. So please do leave us a like, leave us a comment and spread the word wherever you can. So with that, I hope you've all enjoyed the show. Make sure you enjoy the rest of your week and we will be back with you next Wednesday on the Midweek Fix. All the best. Sports Social Podcast Network.